Hey, good morning, Outlook family. It's good to see everyone this morning. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen one of those videos of someone restoring uh, a really old painting? Maybe they're carefully cleaning it with a cotton swab. They're gently removing decades or maybe even centuries of oil and dust uh, and whatever else is accumulated. And they end up revealing color and detail in that painting that people haven't been seeing every time they look at it. They haven't been seeing that color and detail for generations. Have you ever seen one of those? And I think those videos and that act of restoring an old painting like that, that's kind of how I feel about our subject, uh, our all-request summer topic this morning. We're going to be looking at the doctrine of the Trinity. Perhaps years of familiarity with Christianity, uh, the fact that it's been around a long time and maybe you grew up in church or you've just kind of been around Christians or Christianity, you kind of feel like you know enough about it, and it's kind of put a, a layer of dust or oil on top of the beauty of the theology of the Trinity, or, or perhaps couple you take that and you couple it with what often feels like the institutionalization of the church, that the church kind of becomes this organization or this institution. It should never feel that way, by the way. It should feel like a family. It should feel like a fellowship of uh, fellow worshipers. That's what the church should feel like. But then you, you might take all that and then you add it you add in the trend of boiling everything down these days to a tweet or fitting it into the frame of an Instagram post and simplifying everything down in that way. And really, you take all that and you put it together and you might end up missing the amazing reality of God that's sitting at the center of it all. And this reality of who God is and what God is like, it eclipses all that's familiar. It supersedes any institution or tradition. It blows past our desire to simplify or boil down our theology. It's vast. It's beautiful. It's amazing. This idea of God, the Trinity. All this and more comes to us as we approach this deep subject. And you can't think about God or read the Bible for very long before running headlong into this concept of the Trinity, the doctrine that God is one, but in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, the term Trinity is formed from tri, you know, the prefix indicating three, and unity. So really, it got smushed together and became Trinity, but tri-unity is really a better term when you think about it to express this idea that God is three in one. And even though this term Trinity is not used specifically in the Bible, its reality is all over the place in the scriptures. God is three in one. Now this can be tough to understand and we should never expect to fully understand it. God lives in a dimension that's far above ours and to him, this is no problem, but it can be challenging for us to wrap our heads around it, but it's good to try and it's good to understand everything we can about God. So that's why this is a great all-request summer subject. We see it quite naturally referred to, as I said, throughout the Scriptures. Here's just some examples. At the end of his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes this blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Very clearly, almost effortlessly, just including all three persons, uh, of God the, the Trinity in this beautiful blessing 
on these Christians. The deeper meaning of the Trinity is revealed here in this blessing in Christian experience. The saving grace of the Son, giving access to the love of the Father and to the communion and experience through the communion of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we read about uh, Peter referring to those of us who've said yes to Jesus as being chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Again, effortlessly, just clearly talking about how all three uh, persons of the Godhead work together and what we experience them. In Romans chapter 5, we read, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We see that we experience God's love through the Holy Spirit made possible by the death and resurrection of Christ Himself. So, here's our kind of overarching idea this morning, and then we'll move through this. The Trinity is a mystery but also a reality, true for eternity. So let's move through this and let the Scriptures kind of unpack this for us. Let's first talk about the fact fact that the Trinity is a mystery. In Christian tradition, the Trinity is a mystery of faith revealed in Scripture beyond complete human understanding. It's important to remember that we Christians have a theology that embraces mystery and the sheer awesomeness of God that in a very real sense we recognize that even though we've been invited to enjoy life with God and he has revealed himself to us in all the ways that we need to know in order to have that relationship with him right still we can reach kind of the the shoreline of our human understanding and as the surf hits our toes we gaze out into the ocean of God's reality and realize we will never be able to completely plumb its depths. We can enjoy the awesomeness of God and embrace everything that God has revealed about Himself to us and His love for us and His plans for our lives and all all the wonder and wonderfulness uh, of what He has for us. And yet also know, man, God is so much bigger than we could ever fully grasp. We Christians embrace a theology that contains mystery. Even back in the Old Testament, we read, He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. That's kind of a poetic way of saying that we, as human beings, the only creatures on the planet made in God's image, we have what one philosopher called that God-shaped hole. We long for God. We hunger for God. We want to be reconnected with our Creator. We have set, he has set eternity in our Hearts. In other words, we know and long and hunger and thirst for something more, something eternal. He has set that in us, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In our culture and time, if we admit it, perhaps we're a bit more hardwired to be impatient of anything that's not immediately understandable or obviously practical. We can be pretty pragmatic. We don't always care first about the abstract truth. We want to know if something works, right? But even we as Christians can inadvertently reduce our faith to some how-tos, some easy steps, some techniques or action plans. We just want it simple. But sometimes we reach a point in our thinking about God. That's what theology is, really. It means thinking about God. 
in our thinking about God, we will reach that shoreline of our understanding and realize there's some mystery to all of this. And all the truth and wonder that has been revealed, there's still some things we're not going to be able to fully wrap our heads around. But you know what? Living in a God-bathed world, dripping in mystery, is a pretty great way to live. That there can be plenty of things that I don't understand, and that I can be pretty good with that, and take some comfort in that God is so much bigger than I am. He's, he is God, and gladly, I am not. There's this Christian named Augustine. He lived a long time ago, but he wrote a, and thought about a, lot of, uh, a lot about God. And he concluded that one must believe before one understands. That certainly there are certain things that we only begin to understand as we believe. That saying yes to Christ, accepting His love, letting that internal, eternal hunger that we have for our Creator to move us towards saying yes, just as we got to watch Glory say yes to Jesus a few minutes ago. Isn't it always awesome when we get to experience one of our brothers and sisters in Christ saying yes to Him? And that's just always a glorious thing. When we do that, we don't have to have everything figured out. In fact, we won't. But it be, actually that act of faith and belief inviting God to live in our lives ends up becoming a key that unlocks understanding that we couldn't have had otherwise. Because some things are only seen after we believe. They're only, we only come to grasp or appreciate or understand them as we experience them. We can talk about how vast and amazing God's grace is and how it erases all our sin and shortcoming. And we can talk about how wide His love is and how His embrace of us is complete and eternal and, and He doesn't let go, but... Those can be just words until we say yes, and then we actually begin to experience. Or we can talk about having peace in the midst of tumultuous circumstances, and that can sound really good, and you can, you can like all the Instagram posts you want about, about peace or uh, about uh, how to have a life that's centered on God. But man, when you say yes to God and you begin to actually experience it, you start to understand things you just couldn't understand before. Belief unlocks that. That's what Augustine is really saying here. And that's true of the Trinity as well. That There are aspects of this mystery of God that even though when we say them with words, they're kind of hard to put together, we can also, though, in our own souls begin to realize, but it's true. It's true. We'll talk more about that in a minute. In Isaiah 55, it says, this is the Old Testament prophet capturing God's words. God says to him and to us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And this is as it should be, right? I'm glad God's thoughts are so much higher than mine. God help us if the world ran according to my thoughts, right? They're so feeble and fickle and fragile. And let me tell you, the longer I live, the less I understand. Anyone else feel that way? The longer I live, the less I understand. And the more okay I become with that, the more comfortable I am with, and the more convinced I am of mystery. That there's plenty happening between you and me and our human souls and us and each other and us and God than we can ever fully grasp. There's a lot more going on than we might at first appreciate. There's plenty of mis mysterious things in this world that God does have mysterious ways. I really see this as us, creatures, in one kind of dimension, really attempting to understand another higher 
dimension. And it's good to attempt to understand it, but it's also good to admit we'll never fully grasp it. Where we have to land is that most people would agree we don't know everything, but what we have to realize is that we can't know everything, can't comprehend everything, can't understand everything, that we live in a world that wants to scientifically define every single thing and pin it down, man, some things are going to defy being pinned down, and I can't imagine anyone being more um, ready to not be pinned down or boxed in than the God of the universe, amen? When we get to the point that we're okay with that, the world becomes a wondrous place. Bible commentator Vernon Grounds once wrote in his book, Radical Commitment, about the Trinity, we can only accept it, a mystery disclosed in Scripture. It should be no surprise that the triune being of God baffles our finite minds. We should be surprised, rather, if we could understand the nature of our Creator. Then He would be a two-bit deity, not the fathomless source of all reality. It is not really that surprising that the finite God that we love and serve, or the infinite God that we love and serve, should be complex in his nature, beyond the ability of finite humans to fully comprehend. All words, phrases, descriptions, analogies, metaphors, man, they fall short. Here are some ancient illustrations of the reality of the Trinity captured in symbols over the years. Different ways people have tried to express this truth in a way that they could look at and begin to understand. One uh, word picture that comes to mind is the fact that, I'll take myself as an example. I'm one person, yet I am a father to two children. I'm the son to two parents, and I am the husband of my wife. I'm a father, I'm a son, and I'm a husband. I'm one person, but three very distinct roles. Now that doesn't come close to fully capturing the Trinity, but it starts to give us a a picture of the way this kind of works in our lives, but I've not encountered any analogy that serves this explanation better than the one that is H2O. So let me me explain what I mean here. H2O, we know, is water, right? But water comes in three forms, liquid, uh, solid ice, and as a gas in the form of steam. Now, no one would see ice and steam and liquid water and then intuit that they're all actually the same Thing. They're very different from each other, distinct from each other. And so as this illustration on the left and on the right begins to capture, just as uh, God the Father is not God the Son, and God the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and vice versa, they are all God. Just as water, liquid water, is not steam, and neither is steam ice, yet all are H2O. They're all made of the exact same thing. They are all the same substance, yet three very distinct expressions or persons. And so that's a pretty good, for me, word picture of how this concept works. Now again, all concepts fall short. And there's no geometric shape or metaphor that can come close to illustrating the fullness of the Trinity. We can't completely understand it. And certainly, an infinite God can't be delineated into a finite illustration. But I do find that that word picture helps me. If it helps you, then you might want to keep that tucked away. If it doesn't help or you're not sure it's, it's very good, just toss it out. It doesn't change the fact, though, that God is three in one, and that this mysterious concept of the Trinity is very much expressed throughout 
the Scriptures. It is a reality. The doctrine is absolutely essential to New Testament Christianity, this doctrine of the Trinity. Here's a scene in which we see the Trinity in full action. We're in Matthew chapter 3. Jesus is getting baptized. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. That's God the Son. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And then a voice from heaven says, this is God the Father, this is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. All three persons of the Trinity show up on this, in this scene here. So what we see simply, directly, is that whether we understand it or not, whether God chooses to fully explain himself or not, what we see here is that the Trinity, God in three persons, is simply God's reality. Simply what God is, how God lives, exists, operates. And all three are evident there in that moment. Now, if this leaves us scratching our heads a little bit, that's okay. Like I said, we're getting a glimpse into a supernatural dimension. In one sense, this is very much a mystery. It's beyond full description. But in another sense, it's a reality that makes perfect sense. Let's think about it for a minute. We think of God the Father as creator, sustainer, ruler on his throne. If God is anything, he is this. But we also know, it's the central fact of the Christian faith, that God was not content to be only that in our lives. He um, is also the God-man, the human, in Jesus Christ. Savior, Redeemer, Lord, eternally existent as God the Son. We wouldn't want God to be any less creator, sustainer, ruler, father, even while He's also our Savior, Redeemer, Yet beyond this, beyond the God, God the Father on the throne or God the Son on the cross and out of the tomb, now return to the Father, specific to time and place. It is now, thanks to Jesus, the age of God among us and in us through God the Holy Spirit. We need that Holy Spirit in our day-to-day lives. We wouldn't want God to be any less than all three of these. And it makes Him all the more worthy of our worship and devotion and praise that He is. As we've gotten the chance to sing, and as we'll get the chance to sing uh, more in a moment, He is holy. He is holy three times holy. And He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit three in one. C.S. Lewis once wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, it is the simple religions that are the made-up ones. If Christianity was something we were making up, of course, we would make it easier. But it's not. We cannot compete in simplicity with people who are inventing religions. How could we? We are dealing with fact. Of course, anyone can be simple if he has no facts to bother about. In other words, we would uh, probably make this whole thing a lot easier to understand, yet it's fitting and right that God is not always easy to understand. That When God is revealing himself to us, there should be some edges there that make us leave us scratching our heads. Pardon me just a moment, sorry. The insights of an enlightened Buddha or the laws and directives of a strident prophet are allowed to be simple and straightforward. But think about it. God's reality is more than that. And it makes sense that it doesn't always make total sense to us. That's not awkward. It's awesome. And it should be awesome, shouldn't it? So the Trinity is a mystery, but it's also a reality. 
and it's true for eternity. Let's break it down briefly by hearing Jesus share this with his disciples the night before his crucifixion. He's really beginning to unpack the deeper, deeper realities of who God is, who he is, and what's to come. And he says in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. In other words, there's no division, no discord between him, God the Son, and God the Father. Pardon me. <clears throat> in Hebrews chapter 1, it's expressed like this. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. In the year 325, the Council of Nicaea, a bunch of Christians got together to talk about theology. They adopted what we now call the Nicene Creed, which described Jesus as, quote, being of one substance with the Father. And including the Holy Spirit, God is three persons, one being. Each is distinct from the others, but never acts independently. They are one in nature and in purpose. A little later in John 14, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip, one of the disciples, said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. And Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Again, just as the writer of Hebrews said, exact representation of the Father. Three, but one, always one. Eternal God the Father, manifest in God the Son, imminent in God the Spirit. And this is not just true for eternity, it's true for our eternity. It, it makes possible this uh, relationship that you and I now get to have with God. Back to John 14, Jesus says, I will ask the Father... And He will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. You know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. You will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Clearly, this is, this is language dripping with some mystery. But Jesus is explaining, preparing His disciples for the reality that He Himself will not be in their presence but he will send the third person of the Trinity to absolutely be now with us all, including them. God is personal, and the Holy Spirit is God at his most personal. The person of God who lives inside us as we follow Jesus and embrace and enjoy the love of the Father. It's only as we turn to Jesus that we receive his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in us. The Greek word used for the Holy Spirit is literally the one who is called to another's side. So the idea that the Holy Spirit is described, or the word that's used is the Holy Spirit walks with us, called to live in and with us as we walk through our day-to-day -day lives. That word can be translated comforter, encourager, counselor, helper, advocate. I'm glad I like all those words. I need them all. Maybe you do too. How often we might wish that we could see and hear Jesus with our eyes and ears. I'm sure that's what the apostles were feeling at this moment. Jesus is beginning describing, I'm going to go away, but don't worry, it's a good thing because the Holy Spirit's going to come. They're like, what? You're going away? No, we want you right here. And Jesus said, you don't understand yet, but you will. That is far better for me to go away and then send the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to you. I would love to see Jesus in person. I bet you would too. I mean, to hear his voice, see the expression on his face, 
to be in the same room with him, what, uh, what, what a, a thrill that would be, right? Certainly the disciples would be hanging on to that, but he says he's got to go to send his spirit. And now we realize that that is a good, good thing. Jesus has to go, in other words, from being localized, a individual human, specific to space and time, to uh, being globalized, so to speak. Um, back to the Father, so the person of God can, uh, who can live in the human soul can take his place. Indeed, it is the Holy Spirit who brings us to Jesus. Think about those words. You will realize, Jesus said, that I am in my Father and you are in me, and I am in you. Why does all this matter? Well, let me take us back to that idea of restoring a beautiful painting. Because there's something here, deeply meaningful and beautiful, just just vibrating with meaning and, 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 and significance for us who are seeking a spirituality that can feed us for our lifetimes and that can give meaning to our lives. And in fact, it seems like everyone is looking for spiritual enlightenment, right? And there are all kinds of ways that we humans have and will continue to invent ways to feel enlightened and spiritual. We, something in us does long for that. The writer of Ecclesiastes was correct. Eternity has been set in our hearts. And what so often ends up happening is that we buy, kind of bypass thinking that there's any mystery left or any, any kind of true enlightenment uh, that this world is so longing for. It's probably not going to be found in Christianity, right? There's churches everywhere. It's been around for such a long time. I've met some Christians. They didn't impress me, right? Or, or they were mean to me, or I, I had a bad experience at church. Or surely there must be newer, better, more upgraded ways to, to uh, experience uh, our own human spirituality than this. But what we don't always appreciate or realize is that underneath maybe some tradition or some bad experiences, underneath the dust and oil, there are details and colors and beauty and our faith, mystery that is still very much there. That if you're looking for the mysterious and the, the, that which is just dripping with deep meaning that you can explore and, and apply to your life for the decades that you have left, it's sitting right there in the beauty of who God is in the Trinity. That we might think we've got all this kind of nailed and stapled down, that we've got it all well-defined and, and that, the, that the church has kind of just become this place where everything, all the complicated stuff's been wallpapered over and now we just have this super marketable, slick, and easy-to-communicate truth. And it's great news and we should be communicating it all we want and can. But man, let's not, let's not forget or, or bypass or, or miss the fact that it is also throbbing with mystery. That it is a beautiful thing for us to plumb the depths of and appreciate the, the vastness of for the rest of our lives. That it's not something that can just always be completely and easily explained. That there's more to it. It's a mystery. It's a reality. And it's true for eternity. In Matthew 28, the disciples are sent out to spread the word to all nations. And what are they called to do? Baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just as we heard uh, done earlier, immersed in the Trinitarian reality that is the kingdom of the heavens. This is the surest and greatest way to be spiritual. It's mysterious, but self-evident. To all of us who've said yes and believe, God is over us. God is one of us, and God is 
in us. We need it to be true. Thank God it is true. Amen? As we take the bread and the cup this morning, we really do pause each week to to recognize that it is true. Think about those words that Jesus said. You will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And every week we stop. Man, it can be easy to forget this, right? It's a slippery truth. As we move through the many tasks, responsibilities, and worries of our week-to-week lives, it can be easy to forget just that, that God is with me, that He lives in me, that He loves me completely. Every week we stop everything and we say, yes, that's true. God is in and with me. And so as we take the bread, let's thank Him for making that possible. His body given for us. And in the same way, we take the cup and we say thank you for expressing the ultimate sacrifice of love that lets us know in the end beyond the shadow of a doubt, we are loved. We are accepted by His blood. Let's take and drink together. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that You are bigger and better than we can imagine, quite literally. Better than we can imagine. That the wonder and the mystery and the vastness of who You are, Your reality, how You work, Your existence, is something that the greatest science fiction writer, the most epic film, the, the most creative artist could never fully begin to capture. And yet, God, You introduce Yourself right into our lives. You, you walk right up to us. You offer a gift of love to us that will change us from the inside out and, and establish us in a relationship with You that never, never ends. That as vast and mysterious and wonderful as You are, You come right to, uh, right to each of us, eyeball to eyeball, heart to heart. And so, Lord, I pray that each of us would accept that gift, say yes to that invitation, and worship You in all of Your vastness, Your wonder, and Your holiness for who You are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.